You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Christopher Herheim, the CEO and co-founder at Optio. What we have not done is like from the start, we did not create the cap table. That's the thing that everyone else in in the in our domain in Europe are creating. They're starting off with a cap table and cap table management, and then they pivot up. We didn't do that before now recently. All right, then we are back with another episode of the SAS Nordic podcast and uh, closing in on SAS 2023. So Daniel, ten, ten, ten. how do you feel? Excited. I like, you know, for every day that passes here, like um, I'm, I'm excited. It feels good. Like, you know, it's, I don't want to jinx it in any way. Yeah. But I feel like we're in much greater control this year than last year. Like, you know, and watch us like, something happens crazy on the day, on the actual day but right now it feels good yeah but at the same time it's an adrenaline rush for sure there's so much that uh, needs to get in place also and uh, yeah you're starting to get really excited to meet everyone because it's it's all about the people it's all about us coming together and learn from each other create relationship and just celebrate how great it is to be in b2b SaaS. exactly and there was a person that asked us uh, just recently like you know how would you define your event and your interaction with the community and so on and i think we spoke about it last year but there's one word that is really like what we're all about it's co-creation yeah you know we've been working hard here but essentially the entire program is created by our, our community members yeah we won't say one uh, wise word i think during <laughs> no. the whole event right <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i think there's if there's really one thing that I'm particularly proud of, and you and I have spoken about this, Thomas, like, you know, we're all about co-creation. We talk about it, but we see it in action, especially when it comes to an event like this. And I think a perfect example is the agenda and the program, you know, that has been created by you guys, the listeners, the members of the community. You know, we, we just, you know, in simple terms, basically put it on a website and make sure that the speakers show up and so on. But you had the ideas like, these are the hot topics, these are the hot speakers, let's talk about it. Let's bring them on the uh, to Malmö on the show floor and so on. That has been really amazing. And honestly, it would have been much more tricky for us to pull this off if it wasn't a co-creation exercise. So that, that's really exciting. That makes me like, you know, I want to high five everybody that shows up at the event. Yeah. And uh, we're all about democratizing knowledge. And uh, one important part of that is this podcast. So today we're going to learn something new. And talk with Christopher at Optio. Today we are joined by Christopher Herheim, the CEO and co-founder at Optio. So welcome, Christopher, to the SaaS Nordic podcast. Thank you, Thomas. Great being here. Uh, yeah, looking very forward to, to talk to you guys. Very good. It, it's, it's getting rather intensive. Like you just recently joined our CEO network. Now you're on the podcast. I, I like the way you, you take on 
your first few months here with with uh, SAS Nordic. It's we like it. Yeah, it's nice to get it kind of intense when we first start. And now it's also the conference coming up pretty soon, so I'm I'm psyched about that as well. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So if you want to meet Christopher, you should definitely head over to SAS 2023 and catch him in Malmo. Yes. Yes. We're going to talk about the event a little bit later. Like now we're going to talk about you, Christopher, and and your journey here and so on. But before we go into that, uh, tell us briefly about yourself. Who are you? Yeah, um, what shall I say? I'm pretty, I'm pretty ordinary guy out of uh, Oslo. Um, have two kids. Um, love running, love wine, uh, and love software. Interesting combination: running, wine, and software. Like, do you ever combine the three of them somehow? Oh, I would try that once. I, uh, that, that was actually a good. I note that down definitely. No, but but uh, but yeah, I'll. Um, what I kind of um, I, I grew up in a small small city, two hours north of Oslo. Um, moved here for study, as I think many many do into Oslo. And then, um, yeah, after my studies, I, uh, or I, actually before I finalized my studies, I was uh, picked up by the startup environment in a way. So I joined directly from my master's into a part-time job in the startup. Right. And so that basically formed me quite a lot, uh, while others at that point of time were joining the big four uh, and the consultancy companies. I, I, I got kind of dragged into uh, software as a service. Are you an engineer by trade or are you a commercial person or anything else, I suppose? <laughs> um, no, I'm definitely not an engineer, um, but I, I did like kind of, I like the finance and accounting part of it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, kind of gradually developed into being more commercial as well. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, what can you tell us about Optio? What do you guys do? Yeah, that's uh, that's a. Uh, I'll try to make it short and and quite simple. So um, when we started Optio, a bit of the background for that was like in the first startup that I joined that I just mentioned, we solved some elements of equity compensation. That was basically the financial part, simplifying um, accounting, basically. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, what we saw uh, when that journey was kind of finalized was that there's a need of more here because there's so many complex elements when you try to incentivize your people with shares. And that was what we wanted to solve. Everything basically of the complex stuff so that it's simpler. And then we started to tap everyone's brain on, on what's the challenges, what's the, uh, how do you communicate it, how do you get it through the AGMs, and, and how do you, of course, also do the accounting part. So that formed Optio. So what we do now is... Um, every time that someone needs something within equity compensation, Optio should be the hub in a way, and we should simplify everything. But of course, it's software, yeah. Okay. And who's your ideal customer? Ideal customer is, um, it's a company that are growing and ambitious, that are above, call it 50 employees. Because then, then kind of very, very, very small, we do that as well. But but there are other actors that can do it just as well as us. Okay. So when you kind of have a past 50, because then the complexity grows. Uh, and then our value proposition is a lot higher. Right. And you could say up to, call it like a couple of thousand employees. So that's quite wide, but still it's the same need for, 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 the, for the client often. Um, one one uh, last sentence on it is that like, when you start thinking IPOing, then uh, I'd say there's no one like us. Okay. And when you say complexity, what, what kind of complexity are you referring to? Uh, good question. So you could start off with saying um, uh, the simplest answer is that you, when you reach a number of employees and a size, then you need to start to account for your options or your shares. So you have to show in your accounting. Uh, Optio just makes that uh, super seamless. You just get your reports and everything is solved. So that's the simple answer to it. Yeah. But you can also say that 
that there's uh, an element of many vesting periods, people are leaving, what should be reversed, what not, and so, and that's also things that we simplify. Okay. Okay, and is there any particular vertical, you know, you mentioned that the size of these companies, but are there any particular verticals that are extra good for you guys? Um, I, 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 I tempted to say no, um, <laughs> but, but when we, uh, our majority of the clients were tech companies uh, early. Right. But again, we have like, Companies like uh, Veidek, uh, Elk, um, Telia, so 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 it is Bamolufsen. Uh, so so it is a bit like uh, everyone that needs to incentivize their people with shares will be very relevant, right? Right. All right. Very cool. Thank you so much for that. And if you would put some uh, some numbers behind this, walk us through. Like, what is your ARR right now? How fast are you guys growing? Yeah. So so numbers uh, right now a bit above uh, four million euros ARR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of been done in a uh, five-year time, approximately, uh, until we got there. Um, call it like Kager uh, or kind of yeah, growth per year average, uh, 95%. Nice. Um, so that's quite uh, quite good, definitely. Yep. Uh, the last year, because due to the conditions in the market, uh, we see about 70% approximately. So it's a bit lower this, this year versus uh, historically. So if we speak here in a year's time, you'll be at... Somewhere between seven and ten million. Um, I'd hope so. I'd hope so. But but I, I, we see the market conditions now. So the targets we have now, we would be happy with seven million euros also, uh, because of that. The decisions are taking longer time. It's it's uh, and that's reality. Um, but of course, I hope to uh, hope that we will be there. Yeah. And how big is your team? 66 people we have now, whereas about like 50% are tech people, if you try to do it very, very um, easy, uh, 50% tech people and the other 50 is either uh, financial experts within our domain that can help people um, and sales and marketing. Yeah. All right. And uh, looking at the number of customers and markets that you are active on? Yeah. Um, Optio currently have offices in Norway, Sweden, Denmark and Germany. Uh, but we also have clients in uh, yeah, South Africa, in Dubai, in US, in in, uh, in UK as well. But of course, centered around uh, around um, Scandinavia still. So so that's where we where we um, where we are. But but like all our employee or all our clients also have employees all around the world. So we we typically, if you're a Swedish company that have uh, ten thousand employees uh, globally, we kind of get to touch all the problems and the challenges globally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And how have you guys been financing this exercise so far? Yeah. Um, so far, so we started off, I'd say partially as. Uh, an independent consultant. So, so basically, uh, we're asked by a lot of big um, listed companies, mainly in Norway, uh, if we could help out or if I could help out on um, uh, what sort of programs are right for us, um, communicating in a good, good way, knowing the EBIT consequences if we did it like this, how should we report to the stock exchanges, dialogue with boards, uh, owners and so. And of course, that part of part of uh, advising, we could uh, invoice quite decent fees. So we started <laughs> off like that. Um, I like that decent fees. <laughs> yeah, decent fees, and and um, yeah. So we started off like that. Uh, got those decent fees. Uh, did not uh, take out money um, in the start, and then but could pay others. So quite fast, we started off with um, with seeing that it was a need of a software and we did 100% of our revenue was consulting. Gradually, we um, moved into hiring people on tech. Right. We moved into uh, automating what we had in our heads. 
um, try to see how we could make things as efficient as possible and, and prioritizing that very hard. Um, and then after a while, we had more and more people and gradually the portion of consultancy fees into Optio decreased a lot and the software annual recurring revenue increased a lot. And now about 7% of our revenue is consulting and about or closer to 90% is uh, pure software as a service fees. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's clever. So you, you essentially used your service arm to fuel the productification of your business. That's correct. And, and what, I, what I find really interesting with that uh, is that like, I also say that that's a very good way of getting to know all the customer needs because he would be a trusted advisor. You'll be definitely on their side and you want to solve their problems. Genuinely, you want to solve their problems. And, and when you get into that part, we even had like a, a, an, an access cards to, to the offices, to the clients and kind of helping them when they were launching big international share purchase programs as a part of their team, right? Over a longer period. And then you kind of took that and, 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 and documented it and we're thinking, okay, shit, this we could do easier. This we could do easier. This could be like this. And then that kind of forms also um, how we built the software. Yeah. All right. So, so since uh, you have a great solution for, you know, keeping track of who owns what and stock options and so on. So, <laughs> so I guess you have pretty good, good uh, knowledge about your own ownership and, and the team. So what does that look like? Yes. Um, we have um, we have still two of the founders still working in Optio. That's uh, Mats and myself, and we own about fifty five percent approximately. Uh, I about thirty, he about twenty five. Okay. Um, and uh, we have two, uh, or we have one um, uh, VC on board. That's Whiskey Capital. They own in EC and Tibur and so as well. Okay. Um, really great people. Uh, they uh, joined in a secondary transaction. Okay. When um, one of the founders left in two thousand and. Uh, 20 or beginning of 2020 yeah and I'm, I'm just learning this so that means that he got cash that's correct <laughs> yeah exactly and you guys did you also uh, take out some cash in that transaction or no we didn't uh, so uh, i in that case it, it kind of i bought back as many shares as i could of my own money uh, at that point of time and that is also an option yeah definitely but i couldn't buy everything so that's why we kind of had the space <laughs> for getting getting others in as well okay so um, no, but 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 uh, we also have all our all the employees in Optio own shares in Optio. Uh, practice what you preach uh, in a way, um, and um, yeah. So so that that's very very high level. We have a few few external, but they they did a secondary transaction. Yeah, maybe a stupid question, but you know, uh, so when this uh, guy or gal decided like uh, I'm out, and you you like okay, I'm going to buy back your shares. How did you set the share value? Okay, here's a good story. Um, or you could decide if it's good. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're all ears. We're all ears. I think it's quite unique. Um, so this is Magnus. He was one of my best friends. Uh, still is a good friend. Um, he left uh, Optio. We decided that that was the best uh, for, the, for everyone. He said that if I uh, am to leave, uh, to leave and um, kind of will be happy, I need to get compensated in a way so that I get uh, free of debt. So kind of get rid of my mortgage. Okay. Um, I may out him a bit on the level of uh, mortgage and so, so I'll get an angry phone, but that's okay. <laughs> so he had 9 million nook in uh, house mortgage. Yeah. With, ta with tax, he needed 13 millions. Okay. He owned about 21% of the company. 
Okay, share price or value of the company, enterprise value, sixty million doc. <laughs> okay, and that and, and and that was actually the terms that I bought shares and also the terms that Visky acquired shares on. They also may be a bit angry on me now that I think that that's this is how they bought, but that's that's actually the case. And yeah. it probably was a fair value at that point. I, I'd say so. It was it was of course we could align that with a control calculation and 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 say the ARR multiple X and non ARR X. So, but but uh, right. but that was actually the truth. Yeah, I like that. All right, so. Yeah, you mentioned it from the beginning that that you funded this uh, through your service arm, and we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh, I mean, how you can grow a business from zero, and how you can work practically uh, in a bootstrap situation. Because okay, you have a service arm, but um, I mean, not everyone that has a service arm is succeeding with building a company like yours. So, could you? Take us through some of the things that you decided to do or what has been successful for you. Yeah. Um, I think first of all, we started a bit like, uh, or we have been, I think uh, most say, say this, but, but we have really been very customer centric. So we have been uh, in the sales as well uh, on the advising side, even though we do not take consulting it's more like we can help you on these things we have data we could back you on what's the best decision and so so that's how we've kind of done sales and then by doing that we we kind of get very close to the clients and we don't have any churn so that's that's like kind of a very important start in a way mm. and then when you have that sort of um, um call it like um relationship with the client um they're also often um willing to commit to like contracts of one year, two year, three years. So we get like predictability, which is also important because if we are going to grow and be leaning forward, we need that sort of predictability as well. So that, that has been kind of a foundation of it. Yeah. And then there's kind of some, a few very small things that is, has been very important for us because obviously you need cash when you grow. And if you were to hire people, you need to have the cash sometimes in advance. So what we did from the very, very start was that we, we structured our contracts in a way where we um, we invoice for a quarter at the time, three months, but we invoice it. I, I understand that I now show with my hands and people don't see it, but still. We are recording the video, so it's okay. Okay, great. great. <laughs> it will show up somewhere at some point. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, lovely. Now, so we invoice for a quarter, meaning three months, but we invoice a month ahead of the quarter okay. and we get paid 14 days after we invoice, meaning that we have all the money on the, in the bank uh, 14 days before we start kind of render, rendering these services. And that may seem like, okay, that, that's a great, but when you're kind of growing on a 100% basis, the funding you get in early that you can grow for and go out and hire, if you believe in continued growth, it, it's quite substantial actually. So, so you get a lot of money in before you actually produce and that that is an alternative in a way to to raising money from uh, an investor it's it's not like it's not of course there are pros and cons and not everyone can do it but for us that was super important because we had predictability and we could be forward leaning in hiring and uh, delivering better value to clients as well because we, we we could we could really push the gas yeah and this must also require discipline Right, if you're gonna do this, because if you don't get your invoices out, then you're you know behind. Yeah, and and, and what, how we've been working on this is like um, 
people may relate to to this like kind of it's very hard to put budgets when you're in a fast growing environment right so so we've always been working on a, what we call a prognosis not budgets uh the, the prognosis are changing every week uh, and then we always adjust 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 if we get a sale the line in two years uh, kind of is being pushed up a bit and then okay then we could work on that one mm. if we lose the sale or kind of don't manage to close it we had into the to the budgets okay then we have to to, yeah. to know the effects of that as well and of course, all software costs and hirings and everything is very, very much. Uh, so we have everything down to like a parking fine. Not that we refund those, but if we would, that would also have been affecting this prognosis elements and how we run this. But how do you get the invoices out in time? I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, like it's a bunch of jabs here coming my way. Yes, full disclosure. Yeah. If you're listening to the episode and I haven't sent you the invoice, it's coming. It's yep. coming. <laughs> yeah. No, we have we have uh, 100 people sitting below us that uh, sits and write it manually. That's uh, no, <laughs> no um, this is something that we, we initially weren't that good at. Uh, or you could say we had 50 invoices so we could do it manually it wasn't so many it's 50 invoices a quarter if you have for 50 clients so it's quite easy yeah but at a point of time let's say a year ago or something we uh we did like a, a huge sprint on this where we um uh, do uh count everything we have in our software make it automatically into the invoicing system i can send out all our now 210 ish invoices in hours right just a manual control so so we did like uh, all the logics in counting how many people how many modules and so so um, now it's um, it's a very very automated process now i'd say okay pr and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company you want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time my news desk is a smart pr platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place my news desk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. Let's just back up for a second. Yep. Just to make sure that, you know, everybody gets this. Uh, and now I'm asking for myself, but uh, you sign a new customer. Like we sign a new customer today and do you invoice me right away then? And then I get access to the platform a little bit later or because how do you invoice me in advance if I get access to the platform right away? Um, this is for us also a bit dependent on client size. Uh, but generally, if, if you think kind of our smaller clients, yeah. they we implement everything on a client within a week and then they get the invoice for the coming period. Okay. Uh, when we talk about big clients, could be annual recurring revenue, uh, 100,000, 200,000 euros a year. These type of clients, uh, there's more like a project. So then we, we uh, um, have agreed on like a payment schedule where, uh, but generally they also pay in advance. Mm -hmm. But of course we needed a sign off. Yes, it works. And then we could invoice for the next three months. And from there on it goes. So we, we, we always invoice in advance, yes. Yeah, there's been this big debate recently, you know, because of inflation and so on and how you can, you know, secure your cash flow and commitment from the clients and so on. What's your take on, you mentioned here that you charge, you know, three months at a time. Mm. Like, what about charging for the entire year up front? Is that a good idea? 
we have been discussing that. And of course, then you would, at, to an even greater extent, be able to fund through invoicing in advance. But what we see and our uh, thoughts on it is that we, we have a, a net retention rate a bit above uh, 30% a year. We have had that historically, meaning that same customer base 12 months ago are now 30% more revenue generating for us. You just have great, great numbers across the board here. Definitely. We're, we're, we're proud of that. Definitely. Yeah. There's a bunch of investors listening to these podcasts. I know. Oh, yeah. They're always lurking, lurking around. So like, be prepared to be called down here. Oh, uh, yeah. We have, uh, we have like this. If you call Christopher, press one if you're an investor. That's the first priority. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, but um, I think I think that our consideration here is that there's quite a lot of changes during a year uh, that will be quite hard to catch up with. So if people are adding new modules, more people in program, KPI or consumer price index changes and so, um, we if we invoice in advance, it will be quite hard for us to catch up that ad hoc and to, it, it creates a lot of fuss for us. So that's why we kind of found for us that the kind of golden middle way would be to to um, to do it uh, quarterly because then we do a recount, a recount, and it's only like three months of lagging before we, we kind of catch up again. Um, I think this is a bit of like work, administration and hassle versus how much do you get up front. And, and for us, that has been the middle way so far, at least. All right. But uh, I mean, one downside, perhaps, when you don't, take in a big investment from a, from a VC or so is that you you must choose carefully what you put your time and effort into so how do you know where to to invest in your your product and um, yeah in in your operation as a whole um i think it's like it may be that Opto have been even much more successful if we take in money early. We don't know that, right? Um, so I, I think it's uh, I think it's very very interesting, and I think a lot about it as well. And I also think about when's the right time to do stuff because it's it's no right or wrong answer necessarily. Uh, definitely, we have done a lot of prioritizations. We have done hard prioritizations, and sometimes we don't prioritize enough because we want to do everything and with a little resources. What did you prioritize? What we what we have not done is like from the start, we did not create a cap table. That's the thing that everyone else in in the in our domain in Europe are creating. They're starting off with a cap table and cap table management, and then they pivot up. We didn't do that before now recently. Okay. And we're like five years down the road, so that would be quite strange for many. Um, we uh, did not prioritize to to. Uh, uh, we could have been a bank, uh, get like concessions so that we can earn money on transactions and that sort of stuff. We have not done that. Mm. Uh, we have done that through partners and ensuring that, okay, this is what we want to going to do and this is what the others are going to do. So you choose to have a narrower product from the beginning, a more focused product. Yes, yes. Um, many will still say that we should have focused even more, right? But I think, I think that's a, a couple of examples on, on how we have. But uh, did you focus mainly on product development or did you put a lot of money into sales and marketing or partners or something else? We have been very um, uh, Norwegian in a way. We have not been <laughs> so. So we have not done anything on marketing. Okay. We have done very little on sales uh, historically. Uh, we have been very um, uh, focused on uh, the clients that we've had and uh, building software and to kind of hoping that. Um, the jungle telegraph or people word of mouth uh, is kind of creating a lot for us and so far that has been good but again 
We don't know where it would have been if we had gone broader out and, and raised a lot of money and been bigger. It could have gone both ways, uh, I think. Okay. But, but that said, we are at a, a crossroads now where we see that uh, we have grown quite fast and good. And in order to really now utilize our potential, uh, we are in the process of, of, of raising money for the first time now because um, we really don't want to uh, be there where the others international competitors are are having a lot and we not and then we, we lose because of that is there going to be se secondaries this time around somebody else's debt needs to be paid oh uh, yeah there's a couple of them but they have big houses and a lot of mortgage <laughs> so it will be a lot of secondaries now how have you found your customers so far how what's your customer acquisition strategy look like yeah we started very call it like we started very enterprise-ish where Mats and me uh, relationship based sales talk to people in our network and then kind of um, long side cycles sometimes uh, or cycles sometimes um very much call it like b2b enterprise sales-ish way of working okay that, of course, has its uh, disadvantages in terms of scalability, in terms of uh, making things go faster, uh, customer acquisition costs, if you look at the details on that and so. So we're kind of now developing what you call typically a more PLG strategy for the lower segment. So, so kind of smaller companies can find us, onboard us, work and do everything on their own. That's a change of the last six months in Optio. And what's, what's tricky, if there is anything that's tricky with making that change? Or addition, if you may. Yeah, I think it's important to know that for us, not it's not for all the clients. Because there are um, procurement processes, a lot of GDPR processes. There's uh, RFPs, requests for proposals. There's a lot of things that makes it impossible for us to do it on a, a clean PLG basis. Right. So we need to kind of separate it a bit where we have PLG on these type of of com uh, companies and, and, uh, and, and work on that. And, and then really a lot of... Um, a lot of continuing with the account executives, SDRs, really good focus on outbounds and tracking that in a good way. And it's two disciplines, but we need to to, to handle both in order to, to to reach what we want to do. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And um, listening to you here, like, you know, obviously you're an expert in, in the space here. Uh, and <laughs> it just made me think here because we just came out of a conversation with some people that were between... Uh, a hard place and a rock like what's your take on because we're starting to see down rounds yep like how do you compensate people in down rounds yeah this is one of the most most asked questions we get now because of that uh, uh, people have either invested in the last rounds employees invested a lot of money now the prices are 70 percent lower um, how do you work with that so one thing the most important thing i'd say is communication right letting people know what's happening be open about it because everyone's losing money when it's like this or losing at least paper money for a while uh, so that's that's the first part but there are also things to do when you do like a super down run it's important to think of the key personnel that have invested they suddenly do not really see the upside anymore right they have options out of the money they have invested at higher they will not get their money back so i think it's important to think and to have to have good dialogue with your investors putting aside some pools and saying that okay if you stay on board help us through this in let's say four years then we have now set aside an allocation that will take you back up to decent ownership levels or something like that because yeah if you as an investor buy shares in the company invest and due to pushing price down, the key personnel suddenly feels that they're not motivated. That's not really what you want to invest in, right? So I think it's super important to think about this uh, getting back whole concepts. Yeah, because I mean, and now I'm, I'm speaking here, not knowing the inner details of how this works and the mechanics, but 
I feel that reallocating of uh, warrants or whatever it is, you know, or shares. Yeah. Like if you give me more shares and I have a bigger ownership, that's all cool and so on. But if it's warrants, again, if it's like a million miles to the strike price and all of these things, having more of useless warrants doesn't help me much. Nope. So my question is then like, do you see and is it ever like a good idea to be like, you know what, the program we had in place, unfortunately, we need to just toss it through the window now and we need to redo this. Somebody's going to have to take a hit, obviously, but is, is that an option? To start from scratch? Yeah, uh, it's an option. Um, then it's just important to think that there are also investors that have joined on some kind of uh, levels that have lost. So right. uh, I think the ideal way of doing this is hard to say, but let, let's say an, one example. Okay, you've people have invested at 100. Now the price is 30. Right. Uh, there's a round because you need the money in. What do you do? Yet say yes, you fuel in, but we set aside 5% of the company. Uh, of the shares in the company that you promise to the top 10% most important people or broad to everyone, depending on how you want to do it, mm -hmm. that turns into share in four years if the share price have come back to a normal levels. 5% dilution extra is if, if you believe that this is a vital part of, of kind of incentivizing the most important persons to come through this difficult period, 5% uh, is a little. And, and it's only if you get back to certain levels, right? Right. So I think at least thinking like this, um, we see a couple of companies that have done it and you kind of get like, okay, guys, now we're focusing, we're going to get through this. And, and you get that sort of uh, setup. Right. Sometimes you could even accept like a salary decrease so that you get cash uh, flow uh, down, but you need to get compensated. Otherwise, your employees are taking a hit and not the investors, right? Yeah. So you go down 10%, but you get some shares in four years that compensate for it. And if it goes well, it goes well for everyone. If it goes bad, okay, then it doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, what's in the future for Optio the next uh, few years? Um, we... We, we pretty much want to continue as we, we have done uh, already, but we're doing it a lot faster. Mm. So, so uh, we are now expanding into um, new geographics. Uh, Optio want to become the local global players. So we have feats on ground in all the markets that we are. So people can ask questions about tax and, and, and how things are working. So, so Europe, uh, obviously, um, and we have a couple of other more exotic uh, destinations as well. Um, but but um, And then making sure that our software does everything that the software can do okay that's a vague answer but um but it's 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 fast growth i'd say yeah fair enough so uh in this journey is there anything that uh, you are looking for right now you have the community listening do you need help with anything uh, very good question um we are in the stage of uh, getting better at uh, product-led growth um that is things that we haven't done before we have been great at um at um uh, call it like enterprise sales. So we uh, advises on how we can ensure that we get people on board, educate people on board themselves and then work lovely. Uh, and of course, also write people in new markets. We're looking at France, we're looking at Netherlands, we're looking at the UK. Uh, very interesting uh, and, and difficult. So yeah. All right. Is there anyone that you would like to see on the show? Any guests that would make you excited to listen to an episode? Yeah, um, I've been thinking a bit about it. Um, and um, I haven't been through all of your episodes, so I can't guarantee that uh, <laughs> I haven't been there. But, but I, I, I always find a lot of uh, motivation talking to, to Eric Buckstein Ardok. Have he been here? Yes. 
Okay, yeah. Then the, ne- <laughs> then the ne- next one on my list, uh, Edwin Fjeldtvedt in uh, in um, earlier order, now favorite. Have he been here? Yes. No, no, he no, he has ah. not. No, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. Thomas. You know, and I think I think Edwin the why is a bit like Edwin always have really really great reflections and answers to a lot of stuff, and I've been sparring a bit on it. And I think I think his mind is, is something to pick for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Let's find him and get him on the show. We're coming for you, Edwin. All right, uh, Christopher, this was great. Thank you so much for for, for sharing uh, your story and some insights on on this great topic. And as we said in the beginning, you will be in Malmö here at Sassius. So I guess I'm going to do uh, a flex for you here. If you're an investor and think this is cool, Christopher is there. If you're going through a really difficult... uh, down route or no it just in general if you have questions about anything about the structure of warrants shares and so on you'll be there right definitely and look forward to meet people as well yeah yeah likewise see ya cool see ya take care now so daniel what's your takeaway from this episode i like and i think we're seeing that more and more but uh for many years a consulting arm or a service mechanism in a b2b SaaS company was seen as a horrible thing uh, but i think we're starting to see that you know in this case in the beginning of a journey that service arm can be great actually fantastic because it also helps with you know a cash flow exercise it brings you the money you need essentially to maybe build a product before you have that cash but i also liked what he said it helps you understand the customer in a way you get inside of their organization in a way maybe you're not able to if you just had a product to, to be to start with yeah so i think it's like you know let's not be allergic to, to the service arm we, I, I get it you know it, it's not always ideal to have too big of a service arm but i, I kind of like that and there's a few more things but i'm going to stop there thomas to make sure that you also have something to say yeah but but i'm, I'm gonna continue on the same track here because i mean Maybe you're not moving as fast as you would have been if you get this huge investment from the start and you can hire a big team and you know start product developing and you get all of these marketing and salespeople on board. But I mean, you will ensure that you have a good product market fit because you have been really close to the customers and you might also, as in this case as well, you have um, faced the problems yourself. You have been working with them, struggling with them and you get constant feedback from from real users and um, it might take a few years more uh, it might might be longer in the future before you can really scale this internationally and so on but um, yeah i think it definitely is an option that that you should look into if you want to start a new business maybe not have that been such a hurry from the beginning take your time stay close to the customer and make sure that you have a good cash flow. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, there's, we've talked about it in other episodes as well, and, and Christopher brought it up here as well. I mean, there's certain rather simple things, but efficient things, you know, in how you structure your contracts and invoices and so on, that can help your cash flow and give you, you know, those extra few months that you may need to accelerate to hire and so on. Yeah. Send your invoices in time. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. So besides that, what's on your to-do list now, Daniel? I mean, it's it's some small fine-tuning. You, you guys know how it is. You know, there's like uh, some presenter that says like, oh, I changed my mind. I want to change a couple of slides and so on. So just, you know, some small touch-ups here and there. 
uh, that needs to be done. Um, and sometimes that takes more time than you think. <laughs> right now when we are recording, you're luckily unaware of the things that <laughs> you're yeah. sitting and doing when we have this episode. Yeah, exactly. I'm talking about small things. Maybe there will be big things. But it, it, it's about the details now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, that we will see you uh, in just a short while. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for being with us. See you around. Take care.